Welcome to everybody in the room. Welcome to those of you that are online tuning in with us. If you're sitting out in the atrium or outside or watching this on January 7th, it's kind of, you know, <laughs> the first day of Advent, January 7th for you. That's great. So it is good to have everybody here. My name is Ryan and I'm the lead pastor. And uh, if this is your first time tuning in, if your first time being here, thank you for being here. Uh, we're launching a brand new series today called Peace on Earth, which is really, if you've been around, kind of the beginning of the end of the last series. <laughs> so uh, over the past nine weeks, we were talking about vision and peacemaking and what does that look like for our church. And last week, we kind of unveiled and shared this big 10-year uh, belief and dream that, that we feel God is calling our church into, that is that by the year 2031, we will be a global network of 5,000 peacemakers contributing 150,000 hours and $10 million every year to peacemaking ventures. That's what we believe God's calling us into. And today really is the question of, is it worth it? And what does that mean for us as a church? So here's the scoop. If you're a guest today, you get in on a total insider conversation. If you just tuned in, we're going to talk about ways in which we strengthen our church family, which means how we give of ourselves. And we're talking about giving of our time, our talent, and our treasure today. And so you kind of get a sneak peek and, and you kind of get a good glimpse of how a church can, in a healthy way, talk about things like money and volunteering. And, and I'm really going to try my best not to guilt anybody into who am I kidding? I'm going to guilt you into every... No, we're not going to do that, all right? So uh, we're going to have some fun today as we kind of ask the question, is it worth it? And I got to say thank you uh, to those of you that are here and to all of our volunteers. We know that this is an important part of a lot of people's emotional health during this season to be able to come here and you feel you want to do that. And so I want to thank everybody for coming, being safe, wearing your masks while in the building. It's so awesome to do that. And I want to thank those of you that are connecting online who are staying in home in a safe way possible. So thank you very much. Let me ask you a question, everybody. Raise your hand if you're in the room, if you're online, nod, pretend like I can see you, raise your hand, whatever it might be. Have you ever said yes to something knowing that it would cost you? Anybody ever, like you said, yes. Maybe you got married, <laughs> right? Maybe you decided to have children. Maybe you had no idea it would cost you anything. Well, well <laughs> joke's on you, right? But the, the reality is we go through life and we make decisions to do things. Oftentimes we know that there's a cost to it, right? That's something that's simple. You buy a car, we know there's a cost to it, but we can set out on an adventure, a hobby, whatever it might be. And there's generally a cost associated with that. So I'm the kind of person, oddly enough, I've always enjoyed a challenge. Like things that were difficult to do, that's just kind of wired. I was kind of wired for that. And so I I make these choices in life that seem kind of crazy and then my OCD kicks in a little bit because I'm the kind of person like if you're going to do it, why are you going to go halfway, right? So uh, when I was kind of uh, in, I was like, I was like a sophomore in college, I decided I think I'll learn martial arts. So like a decade later, you know, I had my fourth degree black belt and I was teaching martial arts and doing it on the side and loved it. And there was a lot of cost involved in that. There was a cost to me, like physically, uh, I got hurt a few times. There was a cost uh, financially to do that, but it was just a cost. At one time, our church that I was serving at the time, we decided we were going to do a fundraiser for clean water around the world, and we did something called a 5K for kids in clean water. And I said, well, if I'm asking people to do this, I better do it. 
And I had never run without anybody chasing me in my entire life. Like, never. Like, the idea of running for the sake of running seemed foolish to me. Seemed very pointless. It still does, quite honestly, and I do it every now and then. But so I said, well, I better figure it out. So I did the little Couch to 5K app. Have everybody ever heard of this? You know, and, and I started to did that, and I ran my first two minutes, and then I walked for five, <laughs> ran for two, walked for five. And then about a year later, I ran my first marathon. Because I was just like, I got to do it, you know? I like to do these like strange, difficult things. Excuse me. And so, so I did that. And then I had a friend who was kind of into cycling. And I thought, oh, he cycles. And, and somebody told me about a triathlon. I said, well, I'll try that. And so I started to try that. And I just like to do difficult things. But what I learned is all these challenges, these ideas, they come with a cost. And really that those ideas that we have for our life, they're really like small microvisions in a sense. There are these dreams that we have, and maybe you've got a dream in your life, a a vision for what you want to see happen. And you know, well, I don't know if I can do it. It's going to cost me something. A lot of us have like dreams about our health, right? And and you go through and you say, oh, I'm going to do this. But there's a cost to that. I got to stop eating donuts, which I love donuts. Peace, love, and little donuts. Love you. The donut house here in town. Oh, it's so good. Right, but we have to make these decisions. And sometimes it's a physical cost, right? If you decide you want to do something difficult that requires like some working out or exercising. Sometimes there's financial costs, right? Like, oh, I got I to gotta make this uh, happen. So I've got to save here or stop spending here. Or it's going to cost me to do it. Sometimes there's emotional costs. It's difficult. It's hard. Certainly, I jokingly said, you know, when we started, you got married and it cost you something. But there is this reality that when you enter into a relationship with someone, that there is an emotional cost because to give yourself away is, can be painful, right? To, to hold on to someone else's pain can be very difficult. And what I've learned in all of these like moments of my own life and as I've walked with other people and, and as I've led churches is that with a vision, we always contend with things. Like whenever we have a vision, an idea, it seems like there's always an opposing force that comes in. And sometimes those opposing forces uh, can be things like fear, So where there's a vision, there will always be a villain of fear. See, visions come with villains, right? They just do. Because I don't, I actually believe that there is this, this, this spiritual world around us. And I don't think of it a lot of times like uh, a a spiritual world of necessarily like a demon here or there, but I think there's spirituality around us. And I think that there is a pressing in against us oftentimes of villainous things, things that would seek to, as the scripture would say, to kill, to steal, and to destroy the joy that God has for us. So fear creeps in. What if I don't Make it. What if I tell people I'm going to do this? What if, what if I go broke trying? You want to start that business? So fear can kick in. Oftentimes when we have a vision and we get going after it, we're going to eventually face the villain of discouragement. We're going to come up against a mountain. We're going to get tired. We're going to get frustrated. And we're going to think, I don't know if I can do this or not. That's a big villain. Maybe you've experienced that. You know, as, as a church, as an organization, as a business, whatever it might be that you're a part of, wherever there's that vision, that pressing in for something better, for something more, we, we are inevitably going to come up against moments where we feel discouraged. You know, I think one of the greatest villains, though, to vision, to what God wants to do for your life, God wants to do in my life, what I believe God wants for our church, is this villain of comparison. Y'all ever done this? Y'all ever fallen into the comparison trap, Right? The comparison trap, you look at other people's lives and you think, oh man, if only, or I can't, I'll never get there. That's one of those things that, uh, that, that can just like derail you. You know, these, 
I, I, again, I find this like weird thing of like trying to do difficult things that are hard or unusual. And I find that if I start to compare myself to people, I get super discouraged. If I start to compare myself to people, I'll get fearful what people think about me. You know, the first time I did a triathlon, I was just like, I got to finish this thing. And I'll never forget, I was so nervous just because you watch these people come. There's like one solid muscle. That is not me, okay? And you just walk up again, they have all this equipment and everything. Like I had borrowed a bike, you know, I could barely swim. I was like, I could float for half a mile. I don't figure this thing out, right? But if I were to just like compare myself, I wouldn't even want to get to the starting line. There's something so dangerous about comparison. And whether it's, you know, uh, this villain of comparison or fear or whatever it might be in your life, you know what it is. You know like how your mind starts to trick you. What I know for sure is this, vision always, always requires that we contend with a villain. If we're going to see God's vision for our life, we're always going to have to contend with a villain. And you know, Christmas is no different, right? That, that first Christmas comes with a vision and that first Christmas comes with a villain, right? Who was the villain in the first Christmas story? If you remember this story as it's told by some of the gospel writers, it was the Herod, the king, right? He heard that there was this new king of the Jews, a prophecy being born. And so he, he wanted to know so he could worship. But in reality, he just wanted to slaughter and kill. And, and so you have this villain that sends Mary and Joseph into exile, right? But here's what's interesting. You know, Herod isn't the villain. We know that later on. You know what was the villain? Fear. Comparison. All those things. That was the villain. Because we know from scripture, the wisdom teaches that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Like that's not who we battle with. When we talk about this reality that the world presses in against all of us, the evil presses in against all of us. But as soon as we give a name to it and we say it's this person, then we've lost and we've become distracted and we've, we've created enemies where we're called to love. And so I wonder today as we kind of launch into this idea of is it worth it? Is the vision that God has given us as a church worth it, that we look to scripture and we look to the start of the Christmas season and we say, well, what was the vision of Christmas? What is the vision of Christmas? Why at the end of the day did Jesus come? Did Jesus come just so that you and I, our, our personal sins, our little failures, the things that we do when nobody's looking or, or when we get frustrated, did Jesus come because God was so angry at the world that somebody had to come and take God's wrath and take God's punishment. And then you and I as individuals can somehow be happy, right? Is that what it was about? Well, I don't think that was what it's about. I don't think it was. And you've heard me talk about this before, but I wonder if we could look at the big announcement that was made about the birth of Jesus when it happened from the angels, according to Luke, the storyteller, Luke. As he writes the story of Jesus down, in Luke chapter two, we're told that there's these shepherds out in the field, they're tending their flocks. An angel comes up and says, hey, behold, this day is born in Bethlehem, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, right? All this good stuff. And then in Luke chapter two, verse 13 and 14, it says, suddenly that angel was joined by a vast host of other angels, the armies of heaven. They started praising God. And then they were saying this, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Did you hear it in there? I know shocker of all shockers. We've been talking about peace for the last nine, 10 weeks. Could you imagine that I'm gonna say that the whole purpose of the incarnation, the vision of Christmas was peace on earth? Like that's what it was about. The angels came and they said, it's here. This is the moment, peace on earth. Excuse me. I'm gonna have to run back there and get something to drink. You might have to wait for me for a second. I'm okay, right? Peace on earth, that was the whole point. Now, the question is, I know some of you, you're thinking, Ryan, I've read my Bible. You're full of it. That's what you're thinking right now, I know it. 
I can tell it through just your eyes. I can tell, I can see it. You're thinking, how could you call yourself a pastor? Don't you know? Jesus actually said the exact opposite. You're trying to tell me that, pe- that the whole purpose of the incarnation was peace on earth. Well, Jesus said the exact opposite, and you know it, and you want to quote to me Matthew chapter 10. Because Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to earth. Like, I'm not making this up. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. He says, don't think, don't imagine that I came to bring peace. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. <laughs> like, if you're the angel, do you like have, then have a conversation with God? Like, well, what's up, God? Like, you told me to take this message, and now Jesus is contradicting me. This makes me look pretty foolish, God. This makes me look like I don't know what I'm talking about. And this was your message, right? Well, what the, what's going on here? Now, first of all, let me say this. If you've ever thought that the Bible is confusing, <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner, okay? Because the truth is we can find any verse in the Bible to say anything we want to. We have to take it as a whole and look for the big major themes, right? So here's the thing. According to Matthew, Jesus at one point in time says, don't imagine I came to be peace on earth. According to Luke, at the very beginning, peace on earth! So we should just pack it up. Call it a day. This whole thing's too confusing. No, listen. Here's what Jesus is saying. We get an explanation of what Jesus is talking about, right? The angels are announcing this massive reality of wholeness, peace, fullness. This is the point of the whole incarnation. This is what it is all leading to. Jesus comes to set the record straight on the heart of God, what you can expect of God, what God looks like, what God, well, not what God looks like, like Jesus, but what God feels like. The the true nature of God is found in Jesus. And it begins this beautiful, wonderful movement that's gonna end eventually in the fullness of time with peace on earth. It begins with Jesus. Now, Jesus is saying, but here's the scoop. Like, what I'm doing here, it's, it's not this cheap peace. It's not this like, let's just not talk to one another and call it peace. Jesus actually says, I've come to set a man against a father. What's gonna happen with my life right here, the work that I'm doing, a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Some of us can imagine that, right? I'm just kidding. It's a good in-law joke. No, not today. All right, sorry. You love your in-laws. I do too. I'm just, you know. He says, your enemies will be right in your own household. Right in your own household. Some of you are sitting right now in your own household and going, amen. (laughs) They're right here. No, like Jesus says, here's the deal. Like my very existence, the message that I'm bringing is gonna cause a division. He says, if you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. Whew, these are big statements. Jesus is saying, listen, the message that I've come, this peace that I'm trying to bring at the end of the day, it will cause division. It will bring about some pain if you're not willing to do it. He actually says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, you will find it. Do you see the contradictions? Like Jesus is is presenting all these contradictions. He's saying all these things that you value. And and you gotta remember, Jesus grew up in an honor, shame culture. Family was it. Power, influence, honor, shame. It's all in the family. And Jesus is breaking down those walls. He's saying, listen, this thing that you hold to, this family stuff, I'm gonna come in and I've gotta be more important than that. The way you think about life as a whole, I'm disrupting it all. And the paradox is this disruption, this lack of peace is what will produce peace. What Jesus is basically saying is that peace on earth comes with a cost. It does. Oh, thank you, Kia. Hold on one second. 
He says, I'm gonna try not to kick that over. He says, it will come at a cost. So the, the, this is true of you and I, right? Peace comes with a cost. So we have to ask ourselves the question, is it worth it? For Jesus, I'd say we could certainly say it was worth it. Jesus came, gave his life, died a horrendous death because peace was worth it. The ultimate sacrifice. And you're saying, again, I know you guys are super smart. You're all Bible people. You're saying, but Ryan, if Jesus was the son of God, there's a good chance he knew the outcome. Like Jesus knew what was gonna happen. Jesus knew he was gonna be raised to dead. Like that's not really fair. He knew that he was gonna be seated at the right hand of the father. Like he knew all that. That's not fair. Okay, well, let's look at his followers. Let's just start with the the 12 that walked with him. We'll take Judas out of the picture if you're familiar with the story, but let's look at the 11. 11 of his closest friends who experienced his teaching, who knew what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross, especially post-resurrection. Because when Jesus says, take up your cross, I like to say this because the whole of Christianity hinges on this reality, in my opinion. When Jesus says, take up your cross, what he's saying is to bring peace on earth, to be my follower, you have to stop the violence. You have to absorb it and return it as love. To take up your cross is to say, I will take your sin and your sin and your sin and your sin and your evil and everything that you do against me. I will take it. I'll bring it in. I will hold it. I will absorb it and I will return it in love into this world. I will allow the spirit of God to transform it inside of me. The pain that I experience from you the wounds, I will allow it to be transformed and I will not return it as evil. See, that's the heart of Christianity. That's the way of Jesus. So, so for the people that knew that, that knew what it was gonna mean to take on the sin of the world, right? Because the scripture says that Jesus took the sin of the world upon himself. And then what did he say in that moment, right? It's recorded, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Like that right there is the heart of Christianity. It's not going to church it's not giving, it's, it's not volunteering, it's not taking communion. The heart of Christianity is, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. That positive assumption of the people around us when they produce pain in our lives. That's a tough one, but that's what it is. Now, these people, these men, these 11 men that knew it, they thought it was worth it. And you know how you, we knew it was worth it? Because you look at the tradition around the ending of their lives. Peter was crucified upside down. Peter, according to uh, tradition and some writings, didn't think he was worthy to die in the same way as Jesus, his Lord. And so he was crucified upside down. Andrew was tied to a cross for days and left out. John, the beloved disciple, the one who sits next to the Lord, the, the one who, is, is, who wrote, who like we attribute the gospel of John to, he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos probably died alone in solitary starvation, who knows. James was killed by a sword. Philip was crucified in Egypt. Thomas had a spear drove through him in India. Matthew was martyred in Ethiopia. The other James was sawed into pieces. Jude was crucified in Armenia. Simon the Zealot, crucified. Was it worth it to them? Absolutely, this message, this way of absorption, this way of bringing peace, it was 100% worth it. Now, here's the thing, here's what's so powerful. While it comes with a cost, we also know that peacemaking, this way of Jesus comes with rewards. It comes with rewards. Because right after Jesus says, don't think I came to bring peace on earth. And if, you're, if you can't do this, you can't do that, then you're not worthy, you can't even be called mine. He finishes that up with two verses in, in, in Matthew chapter 10. Verse 40 and 42, he says, however, anyone who receives you receives me and anyone who receives me receives the father who sent me. If you receive a prophet 
as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as the prophet. Here's this beginning of reward language. And if you receive righteous people because of their righteousness, you will be given a reward like theirs. And if you give even a cup of water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Now there's this huge theme without, within scripture of this idea of rewards. And I believe that there is something to this. But I don't believe that we ought to think about rewards in the way we want to, right? We want to think of rewards as what we value right now. We value money or we value stuff or we value, you know, all, all kinds of things. That I don't think that's what the great theme of reward throughout Scripture is about. And here's why, because there's this key verse that Paul wrote. In one of his letters to the Corinthian church, Paul talks about a reward. He talks about something that you experience something that no one has ever seen. This is what God has stored up for you, has prepared for you. Now, one thing you got to know is that the Corinthian church, they were screwed up, completely screwed up, out to lunch. They were trying to figure out this whole thing of Jesus. What does it mean? They were sleeping with all kinds of people they shouldn't be sleeping with, doing all kinds of nonsense, excluding people, including the wrong. I mean, it was crazy, just like today, right? I mean, just normal people, right? Which, by the way, I share this with the first service. It's total free, all right? You want something free today? Not even part of the notes. No? I can move on, or if you want it, I'll give it to you. Okay, here it is. I was with somebody this week, and they use a phrase that I can't stand. Good Christian. Y'all ever heard this phrase? Y'all ever use this phrase, be honest. And they were talking about a business here in town that was owned by some people. And they said, oh, it's owned by a Christian, Christian family. Good Christian family. I don't even know what that means, good Christian. The point of Christianity is that we're not good. I mean, even Jesus said that nobody's good, not even, you know, only the Father. Like, why do you call me good? So please do me a favor. Total sidebar. Don't ever use the phrase good Christian before. <laughs> Again, just don't say it. Because I'm not good. I'm so messed up. But that's what makes grace beautiful. I don't want to ever present myself as good. I just present myself as a person trying to figure out what God is doing in this world and how I can be a part of it. Right? And that's all the mistakes, all the failures, all that stuff. Now that's all a part of the Corinthian church. Right? Whatever that is. So they're all there. And this is what Paul says to them. Paul says, he quotes a passage from Isaiah. He says, no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That sounds pretty awesome, right? And you've probably heard this message. If you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard this verse. And we think it's about heaven. Oh, this is what God has prepared. Can I tell you right now, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it has nothing to do with heaven. <laughs> Paul's not talking about heaven here. Paul's not even talking about this like faithful life. You know what Paul's talking about? He says, there's this wisdom from God that's been hidden and has now been revealed through Jesus. And you know what the, this reward is? You know what no eye had seen and what no ear had heard and what no mind had ever imagined that God had prepared for those who love him? Jesus. Jesus is our great reward. This life hidden in Christ, that's the great reward. It, it isn't like, now, now I think there's a treasure in that, right? But that's the great reward, is this work of Christ in our lives. And that's why it's so worth it. That's the huge reward. When we live this peacemaking life, we experience Jesus. We experience his peace. We experience his joy. We experience the life that God has for us that no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind can conceive. And here's the thing. Reward is different, by the way, than blessing. Like I believe in spiritual laws, for example. And I believe when we live under spiritual laws, that we live under a blessing. I don't think it's like an active thing or 
I don't necessarily am into like the whole active and passive, like active cursing of God on people or active blessing. I believe the world has been established by God in certain ways. And when we live in that grace and we live in that rhythm, we live under God's blessing. One of the principles that you'll hear often talked about is this idea of tithing, right? I, I just happen to believe that's a spiritual law that's set out in the universe, the way God wired us to be generous people, to set aside for the care of others, to learn. And, it, and there's just a blessing we live in our lives. We don't worry about money. We see we become more responsible and there's all kinds of things that flow out of that. But this reward is what God is giving to us when we seek this way of Jesus, when we actually live it out. So here's the point, right? The point is this, peace on earth was to the disciples and still is a vision worthy of the sacrifice. It still is a vision worthy of the sacrifice. And here's the truth. Here's the good news. For most of you that are watching online, most of you that are in this room, this vision of peacemaking will never cost you your life. It just won't. The good news is so much of humanity has evolved and our conscience has developed that you will probably never be faced with the choice of giving your life for this message. But that doesn't mean there aren't sacrifices involved. One of the best ways that I... I, know to illustrate and understand the, the power of sacrifice and determination and action when it comes to vision is a little document you probably haven't heard of called the Declaration of Independence. Anybody ever heard of the Declaration of Independence? Yes, most of us have heard of the Declaration of Independence. Wonderful document declaring this nation's, the, the colonies, independence from the crown. And it lays out why and all these reasons and listed. It's wonderful. But here's the thing. Do you know how the Declaration of Independence ends? Do you remember it? Have you ever read it? It's, to me, one of the most powerful lines ever written in human history. Because without this one line, the Declaration of Independence is worthless. Absolutely worthless. Here's what it says. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. So you know what that sentence says is, we think it's worth it. We think it's worth it. And then the signers of the Declaration of Independence, in my opinion, were more signing the commitment to that line than to anything else. Could you imagine believing in something enough to pledge to one another your fortune, your life, your honor? I think that's power. And I think without, without this line, it's just words. It's empty words on a page. And it's of it. To support the declaration, it has to be supported. It can't just be words out there. We actually have to do something about it, the writers and framers said. And they were doing it with a reliance that there was divine providence, that God was behind this. And they pledged to one another. It wasn't a pledge to somebody they couldn't see, it but it was a pledge to one another. We're going to hold each other accountable. We're going to do this. And without this line, it's just empty words on the page. And here's the truth. Without us in our everyday life as the people of Crossroads Church, pledging to one another, committing ourselves, a vision is just an empty sentence. It doesn't mean anything. And so here's what I'm asking us to do with one another as a church family, as we walk into this reality of 2021, that with a firm reliance on God, we pledge to each other our time, our talent, and our treasure to the vision of peacemaking in the face of the pandemic.
Remember how I said that every vision has a villain? I said that early on. I believe the vision that God has put into our hearts as a church right now is facing a villain, and that villain is the pandemic. And the truth is the pandemic would seek to destroy not just individual lives, but institutions and society and community. But, but we have an opportunity as a church to say, you know what? We're in this together. And we're gonna walk through this and we're gonna participate and we're gonna see God do amazing, incredible things, things we could never ask or imagine. And we're not just gonna put it out there in a statement, but we're actually gonna commit ourselves to it, to one another, to one another, because we believe God is with us and God can provide. And so here's, in your everyday life this year, here's what we're gonna do. Between now and Christmas Eve, I'm asking all of us as a church to make a pledge to one another in three areas. Not one of three areas, but in three areas. Our time, our talent, and our treasure. And we're gonna have a digital pledge card and we'll have paper ones. And this is a commitment that we make through 2021 so that our church can thrive and continue to move forward during the pandemic. And without this, without us committing to one another, I don't know what will happen. I don't know what our church will look like in a year from now if we don't make these commitments. And so here's the first area that I'm asking all of us to pledge. I'm asking all of us to pledge our time and participate in the vision. So what this means is that you will commit to weekly being equipped and inspired and encouraged in peacemaking. That could mean coming and watching the live cast. It could mean coming to the building. It could mean participating in a group, the daily drops of hope, whatever it might be, but you will participate. You will be encouraged on a weekly basis in your peacemaking venture, in your walk with Jesus. And here's the goal we've set for this year, 1,000 hours per week, 1,000 hours per week equipping and encouraging peacemaking. That, that we would somehow have 1,000 hours engaged. Now that's not 1,000 hours of programming. We can't do that. <laughs> but if each and every one of us represents a life that we would commit an hour to two hours a week growing in our faith, growing in this adventure of peacemaking. Second area I wanna encourage and I'm asking all of us to make a pledge is that we would pledge our talent to advance the vision. We are in a season, in a reality of life with this pandemic <laughs> that we have to give of ourselves to move our church forward in new and unique ways. We have to say, as a gathered church, we will give. Each of us at our own level, use our talents to advance the vision so that we don't slow down, so that the vision doesn't stop. And so to do that, here's the goal a total of 400 hours per month with 150 volunteers. That's the goal. Now, some of us, this is all types of levels of volunteering on a monthly basis. Sometimes that might be once a month volunteering. For some of us, given our lives, you might be able to say, I could volunteer one time a month, one hour. We have spot, spaces for that. For some of us, that could mean like, man, I'm kind of retired or I'm in a situation where I have, I'm, I have all this free time and you might be able to give 10, 15 hours a week in some way. But for us to move forward in the midst of this pandemic, we have to be creative and inventive. And here's the thing, all of our volunteer opportunities, we're working and they will be COVID safe. We're not gonna stick people in spaces that are unhealthy or unsafe. 
So everybody often thinks, well, volunteering at a church means, you know, being in a band or being an usher or a greeter or working with the kids. Yeah, those are ways, and you often see that, but there are hundreds of ways that we have to engage if we're going to walk through this pandemic, if we're going to get through this as a church, and if we're going to thrive in our vision that we believe God has given to us. We're going to need 20, 25 hours weekly of volunteer time just in housekeeping. Have you seen this building? This is a big space. And so this is something that people can come and do in their free time by themselves in a safe atmosphere. We have maintenance of this building. Some of you are so good mechanically with stuff. You've got expertise. That is not me. I don't have a clue how to fix anything. I can break it for you. So there's all these ways. There's, uh, there's administrative work. There's computer. There's, there's, there's all kinds of things that can be done at home. That can be done here in the office. There's, there's being present when, when the phones ring. There's all types of ways that we can volunteer. And it's the responsibility of us as a team, as a staff, to find those ways to help you connect with a way that you can significantly advance the vision of your church. And then finally, everybody's favorite, take a nice deep breath, pledge your treasure and fund the vision. Now, some of you immediately just like cold shivers, every muscle in your body is tensed up. Okay, listen, can I just tell you right now, I have no problems talking about giving because I love to give. I love it. I love to give. And that's what I want to talk about right now. So if we're talking about a goal in hours to participate, to equip people, we're talking about goals in terms of volunteering to make this thing happen, to keep our church moving forward. And now we have a goal of above and beyond our regular giving in 2020 that we need to move forward. And that's $275,000. That's what we're going to raise extra this year through the pieces worth it. You all look so excited about this. You should see their faces in the room. It's amazing. So I'm sure they're all smiling under their masks, right? Now, listen, let, let's just talk for a second. I, I just want to be very clear. Our church is under no divine protection from the realities of a pandemic that's hitting us e- economically, right? Just, it's, it is the reality of what it is. And so we're faced with an opportunity for those of us who are in a situation to give above and beyond of ourselves. Now, how do we do this? Well, we participate. That's how we get there. So let me talk about how we're gonna get there. And, and, and I believe it. So part of, I, I'm a nonprofit leader. The church, in a sense, remembers lots of ways to think about the church is a nonprofit. And so I believe that we have a good plan here that will propel us forward through this pandemic and will come out on the other side of this stronger healthier if we all participate. And, and here's how this works. 150 households, okay, so 150 households figuring out what is a bit of a stretch for them to give over the next year, 12 months, right? Not talking about tomorrow, 12 months. And we launch this on Christmas Eve. So we have a Christmas Eve offering, year-end giving for those that that's important to. But here, that's what we're gonna do. So it's a 12-month kind of pledge. So over the next 12 months, this is what I'll give extra above and beyond what I normally give, Okay. Now, I know you're riveted here, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you what they are, all right? The idea is that we can all participate. So 60 households, 60 of the 150 pledging to give $500 this year, $500 this year extra. It's about 50 bucks a month, $40 a month, right? Yeah, I'm not a mathematician. I'm a humanities major. It's about $40 extra a month, 60 families giving that. Now, here's how you know 
when I've hit the sweet spot for your household, right? If your heart is for Crossroads and you want to participate, and you're like, well, I don't know how much. I'm, as I walk through this, there's going to come a point in time where you go, ooh, I don't know if I could do that. Like, that's your spot. Because there's a little bit of faith, but it's not a pipe dream, okay? Like, please, if your household income is $5,000 a year, please don't pledge to give $5,000 a year, okay? I love your faith, but that's just unrealistic, all right? So the idea here is we, we want to hear God's Spirit speak to us. We want something that's a bit of a challenge for our lives, but not something that we don't feed our own family, okay? So wherever you, I might have said that, and you're like, ooh, I don't know. That, that's you. So 60 families giving $500 this year, 2021 extra. 50 families giving $1,200 this year. So about 100 bucks a month, about $25 a week. And some of you went, ooh, wow, that's a... I could probably do 50, but I'll maybe. So you say, okay, there's the challenge for you. 20 families giving $2,500 extra this year. Nine families giving $5,000 extra this year. Four families giving $10,000 extra this year. And two families giving $25,000. These figures, by the way, like this plan, is based upon the reality of our church, Right? It's just based on who we have and what we know of giving as, as a nonprofit. And we can all find our spot. Now, here's the thing. Maybe I said, to, maybe I never said a number for you. Maybe you're like, Ryan, like I, we've lost our job. I don't think we totally understand that, okay? That, that we're all in different spaces. But some of you are like, I could give 50 or 100,000. I mean, I, I've got... Millions piled up in a retirement. I could give that and you didn't say me. Oh, good. Pray through it. Think through it. But here's my goal and here's my heart is that we would all participate. And I, even to the person who, if you have lost your job, my heartbeat for you would be to say, make a pledge to give $5 a month. Just to participate. Just to be a part of it. I think there's power in participating and being, uh, being in on this movement. And so this is an opportunity to go above and beyond our regular giving. Now, some of you want to cheat, right? No cheaters in church, right? This is what, you know, this is a cheat. It's like, well, if I normally give to the regular, then I'll just, I'll just give it over to the people. That doesn't help anything, (laughs) right? That's not the point, right? The point is for us to give of ourselves above and beyond. And here's another invitation. Maybe you're new to the Crossroads family and you're like, oh man, I can't believe I walked into the service where they're talking about all this money stuff. And well, I'm glad you're here because again, we don't have to, we should, there's no reason why we should be afraid to talk about money. I mean, it's just, it's just the reality of things, right? I mean, you all have rent. Our church has, you know, a mortgage. We have mortgages. We have to buy things, right? But here's the thing. If, if you're new to this church, if you're new to Crossroads, consider this an invitation to begin giving regularly. Maybe you haven't given regularly. Maybe you, you know, just been waiting for that opportunity. Maybe this is your invitation to just begin to participate in this way. Now, Wendy and I, let me just share with you if I can. Wendy and I, we, we think about our giving in three categories. Can I share this with you? Three categories. So we give to now, we give to next, and we give to need. I'm a preacher. They all have to start with the same letter. Okay, it's just part of the rules. So here's what I mean by that. So now is our tithe. We give 10%. Always have spiritual law, believe in that. So we give 10% to the need, to the right now of our church ministry. And then we would always give uh, above and beyond that to next. Something that God wants to do in our church that would be the next thing, 
right? And now we use the worth it initiative for that. Like, this is what's worth it. This is where God's calling us in the bigger vision. So for years and years and years, we've always done that. And then we give to need. So there's those opportunities that come up, like the giving tree. We're going to participate in the giving tree. We participated in the food drive. Uh, we participated in giving to uh, the, the anti-trafficking work in Romania. We give to global initiatives. This is just so we always do these like three areas. Here's the truth of what the pandemic has done. The pandemic has turned need, uh, has turned now, next, and need into the same moment. It's just the reality of it. It's just the same moment. And for our church to move forward, for our church to make the world a better place, for our church to be in this building in a year from now, it's going to require some sacrifice. It's going to require some sacrifice of our time, our talent, and our treasure above and beyond this regular doing. And I believe that it will make the world a better place. And I'm kind of happy that I'm not being asked to be crucified upside down. (laughs) I'd rather give an extra hundred bucks a month, honestly. That was good old-fashioned church guilt, okay? That's what that was. Like, in case you were wondering, I slipped it in there. (laughs) But I do believe it's worth it. And I believe if we hit these goals, we will make the world a better place. We will press in. And see, here's some things that I believe can happen if we hit these goals as a church. If we commit to each other, we pledge to each other these things, that one will be healthier and stronger as a church than we were before the pandemic. Because we'll be more generous. Because we'll be giving of ourselves with volunteerism. I mean, I can show you study after study that the healthiest and strongest churches have high, high, high rates of volunteerism. Nonprofits in general, it's just the truth of it. We give of ourselves, we take ownership of this thing. But more important than that, and to me this is what it's all about, is that I really do believe that if we, if we hit these goals, new people will come to faith in Christ and lives will be transformed in this next year that these resources that we have of people in this building and the the staff, all these resources will result in new lives coming to faith in Christ. Lives being transformed. Those that are spiritually disconnected and disenfranchised and dissatisfied will find a spiritual home where they can encounter the love of God for their life. And ultimately we will bring hope. We'll bring hope. And we'll be equipped to bring hope out of this place. And so hope will be here and there, wherever you are. So we have a song for you as we consider what God is inviting us into today. Two things on your Connect card I'd love for you to consider. Number one, I'd love for you in faith to say, I believe that peace is worth it. I believe peace is worth it. Send me the link where I can make a pledge to the 2021 Peace is Worth It ministry emphasis. If you check that box digitally or on your card, We'll send you that link. We're going to be sending out all kinds of information for people to begin to pray about this and think through as a church family how to live into this. Maybe you want to get a jump on the volunteering, right? We said this goal, right, of 400 hours a month. Well, Jingle Fest is right around the corner. It's a great opportunity to volunteer. You know, everybody can have a part in making Jingle Fest a success. You don't even have to come here to make Jingle Fest a success. You can join the prayer team. You can just pray during that time. You can pray for the, the team and the volunteers ahead of time. Pray that people's hearts and lives would be filled with joy from their experience, that people would be safe. So see, there's ways we can all participate. 
Right before we sing this song, I'd like to share with you a story. And I didn't make it through this story without getting emotional during the first service. So I think I might be able to this service, okay? So bear with me. Uh, but I just, can I just be really, really honest with you and just a, a really transparent for a moment? Can I do that? And you won't kick me out? Fair enough. That's a lot to ask. <laughs> You're like, wait, it depends on what you say. So I'll just be real, real with you. Um, so... <clears throat> As, uh, as we were kind of going through the pandemic as a church and in church leadership, you go, man, this is amazing. Like God, God's providing. <laughs> and a lot of good things were in place and we we're seeing generosity, but just it's, it's waned and we've seen disconnection take place and, and just what happens in a pandemic and people's lives are being challenged. And it, starting in September, it became to become very obvious that it was going to be very difficult. And, and, I, and I know this is not just Crossroads, this is churches all over. I hope that this message gets preached in every church across America that wants to do good during the pandemic, because I really believe it's important that our churches stay open and stay moving forward in, in healthy ways. I don't mean like stay open in a weird political way. I mean like that we're still doing the ministry. Um, but it was, it was becoming clearer and clearer that as we came into like this, this winter season as the pandemic was going to, hit us that it was going to be really challenging for our church. And, and I remember a few weeks ago, I kind of, I came into a space where I was really angry at God. I was like really mad. And I'm not really proud of that or anything, but I was, I was mad. Because I was angry that, why now, God? Like, why did you move my family now? Why would you do that to us? Why would you do that? Why would you move us out of a place and into another place in the middle of this nightmare of leadership? Like, why would you do that to me? Why would you take me out of a place where I could have led a congregation through this pandemic where I had 12 years of history, people knew me, there was trust, there was a team of people that they knew me, we had worked together for years, some decades. Like, why would you do that to me? And I also asked this question, why would you do it to them? Why would you do it to Crossroads? Why would you bring them somebody that they don't know, that doesn't really fit the like mold of what a pastor is supposed to be? And they have such great leaders here and great history. Like, why would you do that to them? And I was angry. And just one day, I mean, I was in my car and I was just, again, having this conversation with God or the air or whatever you believe. I just got this very, this peace kind of rushed over me. And as I said, why would you do that to them? Why would you do this to me? God said, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? And in that moment, I realized and remembered some things about me. said, I always like a challenge. And I felt this intense, just empowerment of the spirit that God was present. And that what God wants to do here is worth it. And so I, I, I can honestly say this to anyone who's watching in this room. I'm not a good manipulator. I'm not a good sales. I'm just, I believe in what we're doing here. And our family is gonna sacrifice and our family is gonna get creative. Because you know what? Our family wasn't here 20 years ago when people sacrificed to get this building going to raise the money for the down payment, to move in here, that, that we weren't here for that, but we're here now. And for many of us, this is our time. This is our time to make those sacrifices. 
And I have this belief that I don't want to live in a house that I didn't build or drink from vineyards that I didn't plant. It's a passage in the Old Testament where God warns the people, be careful because one day you'll live in homes that you didn't build and you will uh, drink from vineyards that you didn't plant and you will reap from fields that, or you'll harvest from fields that you didn't sow and reap it to. Like be careful in that moment. And so I really do believe deeply that I don't wanna be that person. And so the invitation is, Will you join Wendy and I in this moment and believe that if we do this, we will be better than we were at the beginning of the pandemic and that nothing, nothing can stop the advancement of what God wants to do through this church. I believe what we do is so important. It's so unique and it's so needed. So this song to just consider what God's inviting you into to get us out of here. The lyric says, peace has come for our King is with us. And I believe that's why we're gonna do this because peace has come and it's flowing out through us because our King is with us. And I can't think of a better season, a better season than Christmas to call us into this way of life for the next year. And to say, by God's grace, I'll pledge myself, my time, my talents, my treasure to peacemaking in the face of the pandemic. Let me pray for you and then we'll sing this song. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment. Thank you that I'm here for this moment, God, in time. Thank you that every person is tuning in and is present in this moment, whether it's their first time or their last time. Thank you, God, for calling us to this moment. Bring us to a place of deep love for the work that you have for us, for the joy set before us, the ministry that you've given to us in this community and abroad. We thank you for the vision. Now, Lord, In support of it, we give ourselves to one another so that lives might be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen.